Welcome to the EQIQ podcast, the show where we foster connection and uh, deepen ecological intelligence. I'm your host, Aaron Henderson. I'd just like to begin our talk today with a sharing of gratitude for myself. I'm so grateful for the blessing of being able to share a deep connection with another human being and the support and encouragement received from so many people, from nature itself, and not least from our creator. Thank you. Today, we'd have the great pleasure to host a true hero in the space of regenerative farming and a whole lot more besides, master land steward, farmer rights activist, and soil regenerating extraordinaire, Joel Salatin. Joel Salatin is the manager of the super entrepreneurial and eclectic Polyface Farms, which once sporting four meter deep erosion gullies has become a benchmark for what is possible in highly synergistic and nature respecting agriculture. A highly successful entrepreneur is on ride. Joel could easily take credit for another benchmark of maximizing productivity and profitability from one farming enterprise while simultaneously creating a stream of new young farming entrepreneurs. An out outspoken activist for farmers' rights and direct farmer-consumer relationships, Joel has been involved in multiple legal defense bodies that protect small farmers from the sometimes aggressive bureaucracy that keeps them from being innovative, humane, and chemical-free. Both a true leader and a team player, Joel is an active advocate for truly engaging, engaged and deep connection with the earth and each other. Joel tackles the modern-day ecological issues with a very personal and highly effective approach that combines science, eco-intelligence, eco business savvy, and spiritual connection. A prolific writer, uh, Joel is the author of a dozen highly regarded books, including You Can Farm, Everything I Want to Do is Illegal, Fields of Farmers, and his latest book, Your Successful Farming Business. A regular speaker year-round at conferences and seminars, Joel is featured in the movies Fresh, Food Inc., American Meat, Farmageddon, What's, Up, What's With Wheat, and the Regarian's collaborative biography, Polyphases. Joel still finds time to blog almost every day and be involved with the development of more learning resources and courses. Eternally positive, Joel brings a well-needed optimism and no-nonsense no approach to our interaction with land production. More than that, Joel brings a dignity back into a space that is largely bankrupt of it. Dignity for the farmer as a land steward, dignity for the natural cycles and rhythms we try to harmonize with, and dignity for the informed consumer who wants to know and connect to where their food comes from. From moving cows and chickens to innovative, innovative composting systems to lecturing on international stages and TED Talks, Joel is outspoken in the call to return to a nature-connected approach to food production. It's a real pleasure to welcome Joel Sartes in the show. Joel, welcome to EcoIQ. Thank you. It's a delight and an honor to be with you. <laughs> I'm really honored that you chose to join us on the show, Joel. And now you mentioned um, to me before that you appreciate the people of Israel. I know we're separated by many waters, but I just, uh, um, I'd like to think that I'm hosting you as my guest here in the ancient and holy city of Jerusalem. And I'm just curious if you visited Israel before and if you could share with us what motivated you to, to join in our conversation from Eco, in EcoIQ in Israel. Uh, no, I have not been to Israel yet. I would like to. It's on my, it's on my bucket list. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I, my, my affinity to Israel, um, if you know my, bio, my biography, it's uh, Christian, libertarian, environmentalist, capitalist, lunatic. And, um, <laughs> and the first of that is Christian. And, um, and so um, I am a follower of um, Yahweh and, um, and have a deep affinity and appreciation for Israel. Israel is, um, I'll, I'll break up here. It, Israel are God's chosen people. Hmm. Uh, you are you are the blessed people of God, and uh, it is it is wonderful to be able to uh, to enjoy this time with you. Hmm. I really really appreciate your time, Joel. It's a, it's a very special, and uh, you know we're gonna I'm um, sharing this interview. 
Um, I think, you know, some areas that I don't think uh, touch too much because I, most of the interviews I've heard from you are very, I, I love all the interviews, but there's some that, you know, I tackle the practical side and there's some that tackle the spiritual side. So I'm, you know, you know, in a traditionally kind of Jewish kind of way, we're going to try and uh, link oh, them both because they're very, they're, to me, they're very essential. They're both very essential areas. Yes, yes. So I understand also you just finished the turkey season last week. The last turkey has left. <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, so we have Thanksgiving coming up in two days. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and American Thanksgiving is traditionally a turkey. And, um, and so, yes, we, uh, we finished our last turkeys. Um, Saturday, the store was full all day of people getting their Thanksgiving turkey. So this is a, this is a real, um, you know, a sign t- kind of toward the end of the season. Mm. And, um, and it, it's, it's always delightful to, it's delightful to see it come and see it go. You know how festivals are. Uh, yeah. They're wonderful <laughs> in anticipation and they're always wonderful in retrospect as well. Yeah. Uh, looking forward and looking backward. Yeah, I know, I know that really well. I, I just, I'm just curious, how, how important is it for you? Because with everything that's going on to still be physically in touch with the seasons like that to, on the farm, is that something that's important for you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we, we are, we are very seasonal here. Uh, I mean, right now, right now we have, we have no chickens outside. The chickens are all, well, we have layers yet. Uh, layers are now in hoop houses where they're protected for the winter. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, you know, I just, I just finished another book, uh, two days ago. And, um, and so this, and I have another one to do right now. <laughs> and so, and I have my, you can't see it in this, uh, but my desk is, uh, piled up from, you know, a year accumulation. And so this is a time of year where I, I, um, kind of cup come in, catch up on desk work, um, am able to recharge my, uh, uh just spend, spend more time contemplating the season, going through stuff that's stacked up on the desk. It's a time of good reflection and um and and recharge for me mm, yeah that, that's uh, that kind of answers one of the questions i want to ask how you manage to fit in all this uh, uh very uh, physical farming uh, enterprises also with the you know prolific writings because i know you write a lot so it's you work, yeah. you work with the seasons yeah well we do but i i also pace myself i mean i um you know i can't i can't sit at the computer all day yeah. so um so, you know, I'll, I'll go out and like, you know, I'm still, I'm still moving the cows every day right now. Wow. So I'll kind of schedule that for uh, you know, 3 PM and uh, that'll give me a break. I can go out and uh, move the cows, spend an hour outside and then come back in and my hands are rested from, you know, from typing and, and uh, <laughs> you know, I can get back into it. So yeah, I, I definitely, um, even though this is my time to recharge, I'm still out you know, out and about and, and, um, taking care of a few, I mean, we, we delegate to chores out here. I'm not gathering eggs right now. Other people are doing that, but, I, but my responsibility right now is, is moving the cows every day. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that every day. That's my responsibility. Then I also, of course, have to keep our wood furnace, um, wood furnace stoked. It's an outdoor wood furnace that, uh, heats our house and mom's house. We, the two houses are next to each other. And so it heats all, it heats both of our houses and, uh, it's an outdoor wood furnace. And so I have to keep that, that, um, wow. going as well. I have some outside work to do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's really impressive. 
you know, I, I know that I noticed that you um you've got such a huge array of subjects that you cover when you speak that you must uh, then you must read a lot, you know. And uh, I, I know your biggest influencer you said was your father and the you know from the learning that he introduced yes. you. Mm-hmm. Does your learning come from books or from people? And how do you how do you fit it into your to your routine? I mean, you just mentioned it a little bit there. Yeah, well, uh, it comes from all of that. But uh, yes, I am a prolific reader. Uh, I spend, and, and one of the reasons the desk is piled up is because I have things, um, that I, that I clip for, for my different things that I write. I write a, I write a, a, a weekly, uh, column for a, a global electronic magazine called Man Word out of uh, Oxford. And so I, I collect stuff for that. Of course I do the editorial for, I'm the editor of Stockman Grass Farmer. Yeah. So um, in fact, last evening I watched a um, a critique of the new video that's just out, the Game Changers. Yeah. Uh, it's another it's another vegan it's another <laughs> vegan movie in the you know cowspiracy uh, um, uh, genre. Yeah, and um, so I'll, I'll be tackling that in an upcoming uh, Stockman Grass Farmer mm. editorial. Mm. I write the the uh, Pitchfork Pulpit and Mother Earth News. I do the daily blog, so I'm I'm constantly. I'm like a little uh, um, uh, pack rat, <laughs> you know, uh, you know c- collecting, collecting stuff, you know, and I, I get it all in here and I collect all this. And, um, and so sometimes it piles up faster than I can metabolize it. And so part of my, part of my work now is to, you know, organize it, sort through it, throw out some of it and, um, and, and organize it. I have a whole, I have a whole stack that's, that's not organized that I've been keeping for um, on the whole topic of fake meat, mm-hmm. whole lab meat, fake yeah, meat. Yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so I've been collecting information on that. And so, yeah, uh, it's, a uh, it's always fun this time of year to clean the desk off, go and essentially go through um, all these little kind of collected things and they help you go through the year that you've been collecting mm-hmm. and remember, remember mm. it's, it's, it's quite powerful for me. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really powerful thing to move with the seasons like that. It's really inspiring. Um, I, I wanted to dive in a little bit and you just mentioned the, the fake meat. So let's like dive in right on the, you know, on the core subject of, <laughs> okay. uh, of what is, who is Joel Salatin and Polyface and that's animals. I know a lot of, um, uh, you have a very special view on the life of the animals you care for. And then the respect of life, the life of those animals is a big part of your approach. And you wrote in a recent book of yours, actually like one of my favorite today, that life is so sacred it requires death or sacrifice to thrive. I think this could be a little bit difficult for some people to understand. Uh, could you share with us like a brief insight into your working perspective and your understanding of life and death on the farm? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I think one of the, um, one of the most common uh, physical things that people can understand and relate to, for example, is a compost pile. We, every, every, everybody loves a compost pile. I mean, e- even a chemical farmer loves a compost pile. <laughs> and if, if you think about what's happening in the compost pile, it's actually teeming with, with life, with beings. I mean, you can't, most of them you can't see with your naked eye. Some you can, the roly polies and the worms and, and some of the things, but, but, um, but, Primarily, it's it's teeming with life that you don't see, that is actually um, eating other life that you don't see, 
and and this is part of that whole decomposition process. Uh, th- this this circle of of life, death, decomposition, uh, which could also be called digestion, um, decomposition, and then and then regeneration from from that from that decomposing life energy springs a regenerated life. I mean, this is the circle, life, death, decomposition, regeneration, life, death. And so I I think it's, it's, it's an incredibly um, powerful fact of life that something must sacrifice, whether it's, whether it's a carrot that you eat or a, or, or a, uh, or a chicken that you eat, um, that, that life, life gives life, but it gives life through sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That's an incredibly powerful spiritual truth. And, and so, so, I mean, goodness, <laughs> in, in, in the, um, in the Israelite tradition of, of sacrifices, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, it was the life that came from the sacrifices. Now I, I understand that the sin aspect and all that, but, but still the powerful metaphor of, of, of a sacrificial thing being sacred enough to bestow life on participants is, is extremely powerful. Yeah. And, and I think that, that the, the notion that we can have life without death um, a- actually cheapens the sanctity of life. Uh, <laughs> if my life depends on something dying, again, whether it's a carrot or a cow, if my life depends on something dying, then wow, how special is my life, mm. and and how um, and how much honor should I bestow on the life that's going to give me life? Uh, that that's that's a critical element as well. Uh, you know, a, a death becomes sacred when we've honored it in life. If mm. we have not honored in life, then the death is just. Uh, 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 a desecration, a murderer, a murderer who faces, um, for example, the, the death, let's say the death penalty, a murderer who is executed. We don't, we don't mourn over that as much as we mourn over the death of a hero who, who throws himself on a grenade to protect five, mm. you know, five of his fellow soldiers. That is a sacred death. The, the death of a uh, the of, of a person who's a murderer uh, is not a sacred death. Yeah, yeah, and it's really it's a really it's a really powerful message. I remember actually when I did, first did my my first like permaculture course, which is my first kind of revelation yeah. that it's possible to live like this. I, I remember uh, the the guy running that um, it was actually Jeff Lawton. He was very specific that when we did the course that we actually go through seeing an animal get uh, get slaughtered on the course. And go through that experience, and I remember from all the things I learned, that was the most powerful thing. To it was like such a there was like kind of a reverence a little bit about it. There was a hush, there was yes. a silence, and you know when mm-hmm. when we actually had that meal, I really felt like now I'm really like uh, I'm respecting. It's, it, I really respect mm-hmm. every morsel of it. You know, you'd never think about chucking that in the bin. You know what I mean, or, right. or giving it to the that, dogs. It's really uh, yes. it's uh, something I think is missed uh, many 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 times. I said also you you. You mentioned before that there is um, a, a couple of movies um, that there's no such thing as an animalless ecology. Yes. If you, if you, could you share a bit of what, what that means? There's no animalless well, ecology. Yeah. Well, well, the, the fact that the fact that there there isn't there is no on the planet there is no ecology that 
that is devoid of animals. Animals fill some amazing roles in nature. Um, first of all, they are they are pruners, um, pruners, uh, herbivores. You know, prune the prune the grass to, to just like a a viticulturalist would prune a vineyard or an orchardist would prune an apple tree. Uh, the, er, the 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 herbivore prunes the forage to stimulate to freshen up new growth. Mm. Uh, you know, pr- pruning again. Pruning is a is a very powerful um, a, a powerful uh, metaphor for uh, for growth and progress. Um, mm. You know, as much as we like to celebrate, well, I learned something new. We also need to celebrate. Well, I pruned off a bad habit. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, both of those are equally valid in, in growth, yeah. and um, so so they prune. Another another thing that animals do, of course, is that they move fertility around. Um, you know, uh, the the predator the predator prey relationship in nature moves prey animals, which are pretty much all the herbivores. All the herbivores are are, are uh, prey animals. The carnivores are predator animals, and yeah. and the the um, the the predator animals move the prey animals to hilltops. So grazing in the valleys, and then going up and lounging on the hilltops where the prey animal can look out and see if the you know if the if the lions are coming, that moves the that moves the fertility that gravitates downhill. It moves it back uphill mm. to to maintain the fertility cycle. Otherwise, all the hillsides and hilltops would be denuded, and the valleys would be the only thing that's fertile. Mm. Um, and, and so, so animal, animals animals provide uh, some extremely important, um, you know, ecological benefits. And and I think that the, the fake meat movement, as well as the chemical fertilizer movement, both spring from generally a mechanical view of life rather than a biological view of life Mm. that life is fundamentally mechanical and inanimate and we can manipulate it like 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 parts in an automobile as opposed to being uh yeah i mean there is there is mechanics to it but it's it's far more than mechanics Mm. um you know a, a a wheel bearing in a car if it goes bad you can't sit, um, uh, wait for it to rest, uh, pray over it. You know, you, you can't, that, that wheel bearing is broken. Okay. But, but, but for, for life, for life, there can be uh, brokenness in life or, or wounds and, and it can be re- repaired. You know, a wound on our finger, uh, you know, we get a scab and it, and it, we have new skin, it, it repair. Uh, a tree branch you know you prune it you have this wound and then the you know the tree grows up grows up over it and uh and and you have new uh new growth there it's like a uh, and I, I would e- i would even say for us as humans you know um emotional wounds mm. uh can heal as well through forgiveness mm. and that's a that's a powerful aspect of that's what's different between life and mechanics and there are certainly mechanical aspects of life, but to to assume that that life is no more uh, uh, special than a bunch of moving parts, uh, a bunch of mechanical moving parts, is to take away from life its it, it, its supreme um, speciality. 
Mm, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I really feel like we're, I, I kind of really see it as a, um, a, a sign that when, when someone's really taken on and really understands a subject very well, when they've actually taken it on, and, and you, I, I notice with yourself, Joel, you constantly uh, related to things about human beings, like you said, you know, also uh, emotional wounds. It's like a, mm -hmm. it's always a sign for me that someone's really taken on the subject internally. And I just wanted to share with the audience an amazing routine that you said that you do um, of an evening of going and lying down in the field at night and you're surrounded by the, these cows in, you know, it's an incredible picture that have, you know, well fed and content and the experience that you have when they, when they nudge you and, and you know, and, and sniff around you, it just speaks volumes of how much you really appreciate the life on your farm in general. And is, is that something you do regularly that, that line going and lying down in the field? <laughs> well, I, I don't, I don't have it on my schedule, but, um, <laughs> but, but I did it yesterday Wow. And, uh, and, and I do it, let's just say I, I enjoy doing it routinely. I'm not on a schedule, but, but when I, when I can, I enjoy doing it. I find that it's, it's, it's one of the most powerful, um, meditative and it, it, it helps me to understand that there is something way bigger than me going on. Yeah. Um, all of us wrestle don't we with with um kind of egocentricity the, the the universe revolves around me you know i mean um um uh, be, because we see what we see we think what we think we know what we know and so uh, our our window to the world is you know is through us and for me getting out there just lying down i can't make the cows come up to to lick me they come of their own accord so i have to be in a place you know, quiet and, and un, uh, whatever, um, um, uh, friendly, you know, they, they have to perceive me as friendly. I mean, th there are a lot of things that go on and mm -hmm. listen, if I lay down and the cows didn't come up around me to lick me, I would immediately realize something is wrong wow. with my relationship with these cows. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a way to get grant, <laughs> grounded no pun intended <laughs> uh, to, to just lie down there and, and get grounded and just appreciate mm. the majesty and mystery of what we're working with of life mm. Mm. it really reminds me of one of our guests we had before who was a is like a master of uh, bird language and actually understands birds and he said that mm. really he he can feel when he's how, what his emotional state is in the language of the birds, like before sometimes even realizing right. it himself. It's a, uh -huh. it's a powerful, I never would have thought I would have heard that from, from yourself, Joel. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a romantic, you know, I, I, I yes, there's a, I'm, I'm very practical and functional. Um, but, but I, I also have this very deep, um, uh, you know, appreciation for, 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 you know, for the things that are going around that, that I don't have control over. It's, uh, mm. it's, I think it's important to appreciate that we don't, we don't control everything. And I, and I think right now in our electronic age with all of our electronic gadgets and our smartphones, where it, it, again, it, it's, it's easy to think I have the world at my fingertips. You know, I can, I can ask Alexa, I can, I can Google, I can do all these things. Uh, you know, I, I can play video games. I can, uh, uh, and I think, I think, um, especially the, the next generation coming up, uh, I, I fear for uh, just a very, a, a very humble appreciation that, that, that I don't have the world at my fingertips. Mm -hmm. There is way more going on 
than than me and um and and i think it's healthy to come to life not assuming that i have control of everything yeah it's a really really powerful uh, message that i i also think it's something that runs through um kind of a i guess you kind of call it a movement of regenerating farming it's it's uh, i kind of i don't mind using actually the word regenerative farming although permaculture although i i love permaculture it tends to be a bit of a system and regenerative farming kind of seems to uh, you know resist that kind of a thing because it's so open and also it's to do with agriculture you can it's it's a the romanticism is a little bit of a <laughs> different flavor so. right. well well once 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 um once regenerate rege- the word regenerative agriculture becomes widely adopted uh, it'll be co-opted by some uh you know some <laughs> adulterous thing as well and yeah. become an ism and we'll ha- we'll be searching for another uh you know <laughs> word uh so yeah i, I agree with you i, I love you uh, i love the i love permaculture um I, i've been a fan of permaculture but what i um as well as holistic management mm. uh those kinds of things but I, I i'm very um disappointed in these movements that then copyright and patent everything mm. to where uh you know you you can scarcely use the word without getting a call from an attorney saying you've infringed did you get a license to use that term you know and and <laughs> Owning owning language is a is a strong thing. You know, we uh, I've invented several terms like you know salad bar beef and yeah. pastured poultry and things like that. I don't patent anything. I want them to become household words. I I I want them to be ubiquitous. You know, in the culture and in the language. And so um, so anyway, I, I, I understand business and intellectual intellectual property and things. But uh, boy, I'll tell you, it just seems like. Um, uh, it, it seems like we spend too much time creating a little thing and then spending the rest of our, our lives circling the wagons around to, to protect this instead of taking that energy <laughs> and developing another new thing. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you can, you can either, you can either spend your energy protecting this little thing that you developed, or you can take that energy and develop another new thing. Mm-hmm. That's it's something that's really uh, indicative of polyface actually in yourself the innov- the the idea of innovation and I noticed also when with with your with the polyface style of innovation it's very big on independence like you have yes. you have this uh, uh, very independent kind of structure happening where you don't have to actually run all the enterprises that happen over there I wonder if you could just share with us a little bit of like how this idea of fiefdoms and uh, and how, yes. how how that works on polyface and and how did you bring sure. such a model to did it just evolve or did you actually you know, was it was it by design uh, well it, uh, it, it evolved but i i think the the uh, the basic um platform of it was that um that we did not want i mean two things we, a we did not want hourly employees uh because hourly employees there, there's always a tension the 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 manager never thinks he's getting a, a full day's work and the worker never feels like, you know, he's appreciated if he works anyway, there's lack of appreciation. So, so the hourly, the hourly uh, um, employee arrangement has built in um, tension in it. Yeah. Um, so that, that was one element. And then the other element was how do we, how do we, in, how do we create then uh, ownership where all of our partners 
uh, and, and I'm using partners loosely, uh, we could say team players, okay, mm-hmm. um, where all of our team players share some of our risk. Uh, in, in so many places, I go to work for somebody, I walk in, and I can walk out, and, and I don't share any risk for the success of the, of the outfit. And what we wanted was to create uh, an appreciation that we're, we're all in this together and we all share risk. And so we designed uh, what we call memorandums of understanding so mm-hmm. that when, uh, so we, we, we do have salaried people, but we also primarily have subcontractors who uh, um, are, are paid based on performance. So how did we arrive at what a, a different project is worth? Um, so, so the foundation of this is time and motion studies. We have to know what's it worth, what, what is the, the, the labor for, for um, getting a dozen eggs ready for market? What's the labor component of that worth? What's the labor component of moving a chicken shelter? What's the labor component of caretaking a herd of cows? What's the labor component of caretaking a, a, a herd of pigs, for example? And so doing time and motion studies, creating benchmarks, um, we were able to create uh, values for, for moving a chicken shelter, gathering a dozen eggs, uh, moving a herd of cows. We were able to put put value on this. Then we can go to a person and say, okay, we would love for you to join our team. And here's what you do. And we, we offer them, you can do cows, pigs, chickens, um, uh, eggs. You know, you, here, here are the things that you can do. And, um, and you build your you build your uh, compensation plan. You build your inner uh, your your thing uh, based on this opportunity sheet. And so, okay, well, I'll um, I'll do one herd of cows. I'll raise a um, thousand turkeys at um, you know at at five dollars a piece. I'll raise four thousand broilers at a dollar fifty a piece. Mm-hmm. Are you with me? Yeah. I'll, yeah okay. I'll do I'll, I'll do I'll do a pair of eggmobiles. Let's see, that'll generate um, um, 8,000 dozen eggs at a dollar a piece. And you essentially build, you build your, your, your compensation package, you, you build your enterprise uh, from this. And if you want to do something that's not on the sheet, maybe you want to grow mushrooms, maybe mm. you want to do vegetables, maybe you, you know, maybe you want to do lambs, okay, um, then, then, if it if it fits under our umbrella uh, and we can accommodate it in our in our market you know our customer base um, then absolutely a- add to it so we have people that are that do everything from tap maple trees to making um, uh, uh, hand hand creams uh, mm-hmm. soap uh, honeybees. Um, you know, lambs, uh, duck eggs, ducks, uh, all sorts of things that, that I've never done, but I'm able to tap into the creativity and entrepreneurship of other people who can then uh, come under the polyface umbrella and, and tap into our machinery, our, our market, our distribution, 
um, our labor, and we can we can collaboratively share much of the infrastructure, the expertise, and the customer, and and everybody doesn't have to reinvent the wheel, and we can all be collaborative entrepreneurs in this in this journey of of what what I call kind of a a, a community food cluster, uh, uh, that sort of thing. And and like just in, in terms of like the the benefit for Polyface is that there, I might, there must be a lot of benefit for I mean you know some people traditional models say okay well, everyone's doing their own thing what about Polyface but I guess there must be a lot of knock on effects in in the in the, the benefits for for the actual for, for the core for yourself for your family for well, Polyface itself well yeah well well certainly um, because I mean I mean I've I've obviously given you a very abbreviated view yeah, of yeah, this yeah. but but there there are there are different um, uh, percentages. Uh, that Polyface takes for the marketing and distribution mm-hmm. and all that. So, so we become a bit of an aggregator, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that helps our core. But the, the main thing is, uh, there are two, uh, two, two main things. One is that as we, as we build this bigger team, um, uh, for example, one of our subcontractors is gone right now over Thanksgiving for a week. Well, because we have this this group, this community that we've developed over through our, our apprenticeship program, um, it was easy for her to find somebody to, to, to move her cows that she's responsible for and substitute for her so she could go away for a week. Mm-hmm. You know, farmers tend to, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's a lonely thing, and it's also sometimes a, a grind. And so if you can have partners where you can share work around, uh, that, that's a, that's a, that's a, there's a lot of freedom in that. Yeah. So that's one aspect of just, just having the, the community to be able to, to, to cluster and, and collaborate. The other thing is from a marketing standpoint, our customers, our customers now, they can buy way more things from us. So yeah. the more, the more uh, things that we can offer our customers, um, we, we in, instead of being a a two hundred dollar customer, if we can offer ten additional things, they might be a four hundred dollar customer, and a and a four hundred dollar customer is a much more loyal. Uh, you know, um, uh, you have more buy in from a customer. The more things they get from you, uh, they just become a lot more loyal. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's. I think it's probably like a, a good time to mention. I, I once heard Bill Mollison mention in the course, the permaculture course, um, that when he first started teaching business concepts and even earth moving permaculture, some people were appalled. He said, <laughs> he said they, 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 he said that they said uh, we we came here to learn how to grow an apple with a worm in it, and what's all this right. business stuff? So, <laughs> yeah. how, how important yeah. do you think it is to to, say, to integrate sound business practices into land connection? And is there a natural yeah. harmony there too? <laughs> well, there is, and, and uh, I've taken I've taken actually you know a fair amount of heat for being too you know too business minded. But uh, boy, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I'd I'd love to pay my taxes with good looks, but you know, good looks <laughs> won't pay taxes. And um, and so at the end of the day, you know, we pro- profitability is the lifeblood of business and, and innovation. And if we don't if we don't uh, pay our bills and um, and make it financially uh, financially workable, then um, then all the altruism in the world and saving the planet uh, doesn't happen because nothing happens until 
until there's successful, uh, you know, economics to 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 make it happen. Uh, I mean, that's even that's even true in the government. You know, it, it, uh, if the government doesn't uh, handle economics well, it it uh, goes bankrupt, or there's a run on the banks, or you know, whatever. And so, sound sound economic practice in a culture in a civilization, sound economic practice creates a platform for sound business practice, which then creates a platform for investment, innovation, and stewardship. Who wants to take care of something that, that you don't know if it'll be around tomorrow? And, and, so, um, and so creating a longer range view, um, you know, is part of, of stable business structure. Mm. Yeah, I definitely say for all the naysayers of 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 that approach of of, of yourself and Polyface. I mean, the, to be able to have such a long reach of the values that you're that you're promoting of of Earth connection and and respect of life and everything. That, I don't think that would have got nearly even you know ten percent as far if it wasn't based on these uh, sound business practices for sure. Yes. Well, when we talk about uh, attracting young people to farming, uh, as you know, uh, in especially in the um, in the rich the rich part of the world uh the, the rich country uh, and i'm not saying that condescendingly i'm just to help us to understand in in the in the in the rich countries of the world um the, the average farmer well in the u.s the average farmer is now 60 in japan the average farmer is 70 wow. and so what we're seeing is um is for the first time in human history we're seeing almost a a worldwide um, uh, transfer of agricultural equity, land, buildings, and equipment uh, that that's at an unprecedented scale. In the next in the next fifteen years, uh, half of American agriculture equity is going to change hands, mm. and so w- we desperately need um, young people to enter farming. Uh, and, and, and the problem is when, when young people can't get in, old people can't get out. Mm. So, so both generations are stuck. And so, uh, I am convinced that one of the reasons, I mean, there, there are economic reasons why young people don't want to get into farming, but I think the, the biggest reason is that, Farming is seen now as not profitable. Farming is seen as something that, well, if you if you can't go do uh, information technology, or if you can't go, you know, sit in front of a computer all day, uh, then then you 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 know you're enough to go be a farmer. And and I think that 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 if if we were actually able to present white collar salaries, you know, a, a good salary from an agrarian life. I think young people would flock to it because it is it is the most um, it's the most fantastic place to work, uh, you know, out in the environment, clean. You're doing sacred stuff. You're growing things for appreciative people. Uh, it, it's a wonderful thing, but but most young people are not told that it's viable because it's not profitable, and mm. so we have to. We have to address the economics of it in order to attract young people into it as a vocation. 
Yeah, I, I, I think it's a, I think there's also some like an extra thing. I just wanted to add to that that I think today there is also like a another kind of value besides economical that that young people would be attracted to that kind of lifestyle, and that's this idea actually that what we base the show on is eco intelligence. I, I think like today we've really lost this idea of biosensitivity and how much value that can that can have when I'm when I'm in touch with nature. And I see, I see. Really, it seems like constantly you need to, people need to to tell us what's right and wrong regarding nature, which is also includes ourselves. And in terms of, in terms of production, it's even pushed on us that to be efficient or productive, to make a living from it, it doesn't need to be pretty or harmonious. So I just wanted to ask you how important you think it is to hone this like forgotten art of harmony sensing in nature, and and how relevant is like the beauty of our work when it comes to being pragmatic and scientific in on the land. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, there's certainly. Uh, I, I think that true. I think that true function um, does create form that is beautiful. Mm. And when and, um, and and so then you say, well, what kind of function uh, creates beautiful form? Well, function uh, follows natural template. Uh, follows nature's template. Mm. And so, for example, for example, for uh, four decades. We were told, we, I mean, we in the world, uh, we were told by the scientific community to feed uh, dead cows to cows. This was a, this was a, 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 a cheap way, an economical way, uh, we could even say a functional way uh, to, to produce beef, uh, to produce a cow um, faster and cheaper. And um, at our farm, we did not buy into all of this um, uh, idea, not because we hated science or because we hated innovation. We looked around the planet and said, well, where do herbivores eat meat? They don't <laughs> eat meat. Now, we didn't, we didn't know that there would be both, um, you know, bovine spongiform encephalopathy, mad cow. We didn't know that that was going to happen, but it was enough for us to look at nature's template and say, Nature doesn't do it. And on the other side, how does nature do it? Nature does it with moving, mobbing, and mowing. And so how do we move, mob, and mow with herbivores? And so, so the, the nature's functional template drove us to a, a managed grazing concept where we were able to use the technology of electric fence to, to create a nomadic, a, a nomadic pattern that is, that is um, more precise actually on the land than just a nomadic life. And I, I'm giving great credence to, to nomads. I, uh, I appreciate the nomadic thing. Um, but with electric fence now, we're able to actually uh, be nomads on our own farms uh, with, with, with precision. Mm. And so I'm not opposed to technology, but I want to use technology that, if you will, that, that, that caresses, that caresses um, the template of nature, what, what we see in it, and doesn't, and doesn't adulterate it or, or, or disrespect it. Mm. That, that's the idea. Yeah. That's a really, it's, I, go ahead. Yeah. And, and so, so uh, we, we dare to ask, well, what is the essence of cow? What is the essence of chicken? You know, what is the essence of lamb? You know, what, 
what what makes the chickenness of the chicken, the cowness of the cow, and and so uh, when, when we ask those questions, um, uh, it, it moves us into a function that then manifests itself as beauty on the landscape. I've mm-hmm. always said that that good farming should be aesthetically and aromatically, sensually romantic. Yeah, and if it's if it stinks. If, if if it assaults your senses, if if a kindergarten class does not want to go out and 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 mingle in your farm with your plants, your animals, whatever, if a kindergarten class is not mesmerized by the by the beauty of what they see, then we're probably leaving something out. Yeah, yeah, it's I, it's, it's it leads us onto like a really critical point that I really want to touch because um. I think the really special thing about today about regenerative farming, as it you know as it is today as an approach, it, it goes moves beyond organic. And there, I noticed in there there's it's not you know and beyond the idea of sustainability, and it actually hints towards the capacity of a human being to actively uh, actually positively enhance natural systems like while staying in harmony with them. And I think it's a really incredible concept, and it's a lot of the time like missed by by a lot of people, especially when it looks like just a regular farmer, regular cows moving around regular orchards or regular market garden what's the difference so um so i I just want to and especially if people understand what the carbon cycle is and how that works and how that's so much like you know incredibly accelerated by by having uh, herbivores on the land and you know grass compared to to trees in the carbon cycle it just it, it becomes very very clear that actually we can work with natural systems but also like massively accelerate them and i think it's a very kind of it's verging on a kind of a sacred idea really because it shows that we can actually rather than having dominion we can actually like accelerate these uh, processes i i wonder if you could just like you know let us know what's the regenerative approach to, to the carbon sure. cycle and how that you know let us know a bit of how that works technically yeah well um i'll just preface it with yeah you know so often we we view nature as a reluctant partner, uh, a reluctant partner that we have to, we have to, you know, wrestle wrestle into um, into production, uh, when rather uh, nature is a benevolent lover just wanting to be caressed in the right places. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when we when we approach the land this way. Um, we're looking at well, what what does the land need? What does the soil need? Well, the soil needs carbon. Mm. However, we can get carbon to it. Well, there are several ways to get carbon to it. Uh, obviously, the only way to get carbon is to grow a plant, and, mm. uh, and because a, a plant a plant takes in carbon dioxide, it splits off the carbon, leaves that in the soil or in the in the in the biomass, and exhales the oxygen. We breathe the oxygen, and animals we brings the oxygen and we exhale carbon dioxide and that's the that's the animal plant uh um cycle on the on the planet and so um as we uh as we move toward um toward toward harmony it means we need to harmonize the the weight of animals and the weight of plants um those need to harmonize. I'm just saying that because many agricultural systems are trying to do it without animals, without the incorporation of animals. And and animal breath is important, but animal manure is also important. There's there's magic in uh, in in what an animal can do 
with cellulose. And so, uh, so on our farm, we integrate the forest with the open land. We integrate the animals with the open land. And so it's all integrated rather than segregated. And so uh, we, we, um, we chip, you know, we, we go in, we get uh, uh, diseased and crooked and, and, and uh, uh, sick trees. Um, and we chip those that allows the healthy trees to grow better because now they've been thinned out. Uh, I, I'm a believer in the permaculture concept. We need more forest and fewer trees. So um, <laughs> most of, most of our forests are weedy. They're they're They, they need thinning. Mm. And uh, uh, at least in, in North America, that used to be done by fire. And in Australia, that was done by fire. Yeah. Today we can do it with chainsaws and chippers. And we can use that carbon to compost, to feed um, soils in the open ground, to, uh, to leverage that carbon instead of burning it, to leverage it actually on the land to feed the mycorrhizae and the soil microbial community that's there. Mm. I, I just wanted to also share with our, our listener, just to make it the point very clear, that um, prairie systems, natural, natural prairie landscapes, it's the, called mollysoils, is actually the most productive soil on, on the planet, which always naturally has, you know, grazing animals on it. I, I heard once Darren Doherty told me that the, um, when I was in a, in a course of his, he told me the structure of a, of a grass compared to a, um, of a tree, it's like a super highway, the way it sequesters carbon. And it's very, very, uh, the turnover of carbon is so much, m- much quicker. And I, I guess that's like the, using the tool of animals. That's just the way that we can accelerate those, those processes that much more than, than planting a tree. Well, yes, the, all the deepest soils on the planet are not under forests mm. um, or bushes. They're under, they're under prairies. And prairies are, um, you know, the, the whole uh, basis of the prairie is the herbivore, the herbivore and then the herbivore prey, the, the predator-prey relationship that moves in this, this migratory choreography uh, across the prairie. In other words, the animals don't stay in the same spot. If you look at animals in nature, they are moving, they are mobbed up for predator protection, and they're mowing or, or pruning. Um, and so moving, mobbing, and mowing. And if you, if you do not uh, do any one of those three functions, mm. um, if any one of those three functions is not done, then the whole system breaks down to being an ecological liability as opposed to an ecological asset. Mm. And in, in most of our livestock systems today, uh, we have not just broken one of those, we've broken all three. The animals aren't moving, they're, they're, they're cooped up in a house. The animals aren't mowing, they're eating grain. The animals aren't, or they're, they're not doing any pruning. And, and they're... Um, well, they might they might be mobbed up um, uh, in a, in a confinement house, uh, but they're not mobbed they're not mobbed up on the land. Uh, they're you know if they are on the land, they're just in large acreages, just kind of uh, running willy nilly over the landscape, you know, uh, in in large uh, areas as opposed to being clumped up like they would if there were a predator uh, a predator pushing them and keeping them clumped up. So moving, mobbing, and mowing. Are are I, I call those that you know that's the 
that's the the triumvirate you know those are the three things uh that we see in animals in nature and we need to be mimicking that in our domestic livestock models um uh, in order to people ask me you know how did you get so creative well i said you know take a take a simple phrase um animals move animals move i mean that's such a simple phrase and yet as su- and yet we live in a time when many people don't think animals should move they need to be locked up in a confinement house uh and and, and they don't move but as soon as you say animals move well then you need you need movable control, movable like uh, fencing, movable shelters, movable water, and, and movable feed management systems. Um, all four of those things naturally stem. So our eggmobiles and gobbledygoes and shade mobiles and 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 all the, the the mobile infrastructure that we have developed isn't because we sat down and said, "Hey, let's invent mobile infrastructure." We invented the mobile infrastructure because it was a way to honor the simple phrase, animals move. Mm. Nice. Yeah, that's great. So I'm um, also, I know like um, collaboration is a big thing, um, that, that, like integration is a big thing with you, like you just mentioned. I wonder if you could suggest, like you, would you suggest that people are running plant-based systems like orchards or market gardens that collaborate with those people that are managing herbivores to, to increase fertility? Have you seen that work, that, that model? Oh, oh, abs- absolutely. There are some wonderful, wonderful examples. Uh, I got a letter from a fellow in uh, Belize in Central America down uh, below, below Mexico, uh, and he, he runs a citrus. He has a citrus grove. And uh, he'd been, you know, the, the, the problem is that the diseases and the, the, um, the worms and the bugs that get in the citrus, of course, they make the fruit fall, but mm. then they, they overcycle on the ground under the tree. Right. I mean, that, so, so you, you have, you have um, uh, attacked fruit that falls off the tree, the, the bug goes through its life cycle on the ground and then, you know, comes back up. And um, so he started running chickens under mm-hmm. his uh, citrus grove. The chickens ate the worms out of the dropped fruit. He didn't have to spray the trees anymore. And the chickens, of course, ate the dropped fruit. He didn't have to clean that up anymore. And instead of just having oranges and lemons to sell, now he had eggs to sell. So he, 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 he had another economic enterprise. He was able to, to eliminate all of his chemical expenses Hmm. help the trees help the fruit and give himself another i mean that's win 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 all the way around and so we have seen and of course this speaks directly to uh, to the to the permaculture idea of uh, of stacking you know stacking enterprises where you're not just looking at the land as linear but you're stacking um the the pacings or the pacings vineyard in um in california has been 10 years developing a muzzle a muzzle for a sheep so that if they raise their head they can't it 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 drops over their mouth and they can't eat and when they lower their head it uh it it opens and they can graze and they're now um uh keeping all their vineyards clean running sheep through them but the sheep can't eat the grapes because of this new little uh, muzzle thing that they've developed Mm. um so you know they're they're is there is a tremendous amount of this of this kind of symbiotic 
um, complex relational integration that we can do. I don't think we've scratched the surface on it. Uh, you know, we, we, have, we call it, we follow the cows with our chickens, our egg mobiles, the chickens scratch through the cow manure and, and turn a, a cow pie that's that big into, you know, a, a, a fertility area that's that's big mm. and uh, which, which, which covers more ground with the manure. The chickens eat out the fly larva, protects the cows from the parasites and we have eggs to sell as a result. I mean, those are the kind of integrated systems that, that truly uh, mimic the complexity of the integrated systems we see in nature. Mm, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. I, I um, also like, I just wanted to like, just remind, bring that point we talked in about back in right now, because we're talking about the animals that I've, I honestly, my own experience, I've never seen a happier chicken than in a chicken tractor when you move it to the, to the next, to the new, the new block of land. And I, I just want I, the reason I'm bringing it up is because a lot of people would look, you know, people that are not familiar with the, what chickens actually want, they look at a chicken tractor and say, well, you know, it's not free range. You, don't, you can't run anywhere. You can't look up. You can't, you know, it's a, and I, I would ask the person like, you know, what does a chicken actually want? I've never seen a chicken look up, you know, <laughs> I, right. I just they want right. to scratch. Well, and then, it, yeah, another thing is that that uh, that chickens are extremely uh, vulnerable to predation, mm. and so you know I, I can I can I can stay here today uh, unequivocally that um, to my knowledge in whatever fifty years in our chick, little chicken shelters, uh, little portable chicken shelters that we run on the field, we have never had a single loss to a hawk, wow. and. Um, and so the, so the chickens are very safe in those things. Now, we've had other predators, but, but uh, you know, aerial predators are, are one of our, our biggest and most, or most vulnerable. And, um, and so by having them uh, secured from the weather and secured from predation allows them to run around and eat grass and, and scratch and get bugs and all that in the security. There's a, there's a balance here between, between security for the animal and freedom for the animal, and and uh, and for a chicken especially that <laughs> everything out there loves chicken. You know? <laughs> um, uh, everything out there loves chicken, and, and so chickens are highly vulnerable. And so um, uh, when we you know when we offer uh, the security uh, along with uh, along with a habitat that allows the chicken to to do it's you know scratching and, and and different things that's where you get the best of uh, best of all the worlds mm-hmm. also I, I wanted to also just bring it back home a little bit because i mean in israel the climate is very very different the landscape and the climate is quite different to, to you in uh, in virginia over there and i'm just wondering how would you suggest this you know the same approach could be applied and i mean you're talking with a lot of people around the world you, you talk with people that have similar i mean arizona is probably a little bit similar to Israel, well, well, yeah, Israel is a Mediterranean climate where you have um, uh, you tend to have wet seasons and dry seasons. Yeah, very dry in the summer. Yeah, very dry in the summer. Yes, that's correct. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so I I would I would say a couple of things. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of ponds. Uh, Again, this is a permaculture concept uh, that that every raindrop, um, this is a good um, um, environmental intelligence uh, idea, that every, every raindrop should stay where it lands for as long as possible. The longer a raindrop can stay 
where it lands, the more useful it can be. And so, um, and, and so, I, I'm a. So this can be done either with vegetation, uh, where we, you know, where you have uh, thick, you know, uh, heavy organic matter. Yeah. And so I'll just touch that on our farm. On our farm since 1961, we have gone from um, we have gone from one percent organic matter to today we have more than eight percent organic matter um, on our farm. So you know we we used to be one percent too, and now we're eight. 8.2, just say 8%, we'll realize every percent increase in organic matter is uh, an extra 20,000 gallons of water um, water retentive capacity per acre. Wow. So, so seven clicks from 1% to 8%, seven clicks is 140,000 gallons of water per acre. That's, that's huge. It's uh, you know if you're uh, I was, I'm in gallons, but if you did that in liters, <laughs> <It's a lot. laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're talking about uh, you're talking about um, um, 400, 400 liters per acre, or or said another way, a million liters per hectare. Wow. Okay, that's a yeah. lot of water. All right. Um, so 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 the the first the first way to hold a raindrop where it falls is with is with vegetation to protect the soil from from the from the pounding of the rain and then organic matter in the soil that, that gives you a sponge that's that's the first dimension the second dimension is to mimic what uh, what the australian uh, water guru pa yeomans developed with um he, he said every farmer should aspire to eliminate surface runoff from you know from uh, his farm and so we have built, I don't know, 15, 16 ponds, uh, not in streams and not on springs, uh, but simply in, in valleys where water runs. So even in Israel, even in Arizona, there are what I call water events mm. per year. There are days where water's running everywhere. Maybe not very many days, but a few, maybe even five or six. The point is, if on those particular days when water's running everywhere, if you can hold that on high ground and then meter it out gently, gently over the season uh, of dry, you can often increase in, increase biomass production by you know two three four times depending on depending on how much mm -hmm. so for example this summer we had a drought and uh we we normally have one sometime in the season uh now we, we're not in a mediterranean climate but but all these things are relative i mean our our grasses are acclimated to um to more routine rains than perhaps grasses in you know in Israel, yeah. and um, and so the um, the 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 grass here um, is drought stressed. Let's just say faster than the native grasses in Israel yeah. or Arizona. Okay, yeah. all right. So so we we head into this drought, and we're doing and and with with all these uh, ponds we've now developed over the years. 
that, that just collect um, rain event extra runoff. They're, they're, not, they're not in running streams. They're just in, in valleys that we've just impounded. Um, we're, we're able to irrigate with that. We use the, uh, the New Zealand K-line, little K, the little pods mm. on the uh, little K-line system. And, um, and, and so the thing is, in a drought, you never get more sun. And so if you can get water when you have all this sun, you can actually get a lot of growth. Mm. And so we actually drained, we actually drained almost all of our ponds. Oh, wow. um, so here we are, we're entering winter now and we'll, you know, we'll get rains here in the winter and those ponds will gradually fill up over the next uh, two months and until we hit next season and they'll, they'll be full. So, um, so Yeoman said, Yeoman said every farmer should try to eliminate surface runoff. That's one. And number two, should never end a drought with a full pond. In other words, he said ponds are there, you know, to be utilized. Mm-hmm. And so, so here, uh, with a little bit of excavation work, and, and, and I look at this, this is part of nature's system. I mean, uh, 500 years ago, North America was 8% water. Today, we're only 1% water. Well, mm-hmm. what was all that water back 500 years ago? It was beaver ponds. Mm. We we had two hundred million beavers. Whoa! And and if you if you start imagining the landscape at eight percent water, it 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 boggles your mind. It boggles your imagination. We mm. just don't we just don't have that on the planet today. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely getting into um, into the next uh, question I ask you. But just before that, um, I just wanted to um, again just clarify for our audience that, um, that you 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 brought up really I think like the critical simple point is that you need to the, the first call is water is like pre- preserving the water and and even if people can do ponds or can't do ponds if, if they can get that water to stay that drop to stay in that one spot the longer they can that's a, that's going to be a good first step I think anyone listening in Israel that's the that I think, you know, that's the, that's really the key. Also from, I've learned from my learnings and from Darren Doherty, it was always about that. You've got to keep that drop. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. I, think, I, I mean, think, maybe, you know, maybe for somebody, it's something as simple as a rain barrel. You know, just, yeah. just place a rain barrel under your house gutter that you can use for your, you know, for your raised garden or for your, for your espaliered, espaliered vines up against your house, you know, or, or in your solarium. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I've, I've just uh, I, um, I've just begun to learn myself in a, in a very real way, both uh, viscerally and, and from scripture, the power of a, of a belief in abundance. And uh, you mentioned um, that that your memories of, of abundance of your grandfather's uh, grape arbor was a big motivator for you at the outset of Polyphase. And we even had a previous guest on the show. He propositioned that nature doesn't know anything but abundance. I just wonder if you would you agree with this statement, and and how much do you feel a, a, a belief in abundance has affected your your success in, in what you're doing ecologically, business wise? Uh, yes, well, yeah, I, I definitely um, uh, have a great appreciation for abundance, and it, it, it kind of goes back to that same thing I was talking about with nature being a either a reluctant a reluctant partner or a benevolent lover, and and actually. Um, that nature does not want to withhold uh nature wants to produce i mean this the sun is up there the sun is up there and the water's here and the firmament is working you know uh, uh it, 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 we we view nature 
as being fundamentally well. And if there's something wrong with it, we probably broke it. Uh, uh, it there's, there's a fundamental um, uh, uh, functionality to it. it. It works together. You know, when there's, when there's too much prey, uh, the predators go up. And when there are too many predators, um, they die off because prey is too hard. And, and so these, these balances exist and they're all about abundance. And so I just think that um, our role as humans to bring our, our mechanical ability and our, you know, our bigger brains to this, um, to this stewardship, our role is to, if you will, um, tease out through humble participatory massage to tease out uh, the abundance that that creation already wants to give to us mm -hmm. uh it, it, and and it's not you know it's not uh it's not arduous it's it's enjoyable work and and over my lifetime to watch these uh, i mean when we when we came to the farm um there was not enough soil here to hold up electric fence stakes mm -hmm. uh and it doesn't take much soil to hold up an electric fence stake and so dad poured concrete in uh, used car tires and we'd place those out uh, where the fence was going to go. And then um, he put a half inch pipe down in a little piece of, you know, uh, in the concrete and uh, he'd go along and stick the electric fence stakes in the, in the pipes, in the concrete tires uh, like stanchions um, to build electric fence. Today we don't use those anymore. And all those areas have, 12 to 14 inches of soil wow. on them. Now they're, they're, they're not, they're not three feet. You know, they're not a meter like they were, you know, uh, 400 years ago, but you know, they're, 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 they're that much. And, and, and I have watched in my lifetime, and this is the most amazing thing. You think about soil and you think, Oh my goodness. You know, you're looking at, at whatever, tens of thousands of years or whatever. But in my <laughs> lifetime, yeah. in my lifetime, I have watched these, these rock, rock barren places literally scab up and heal up with soil, uh, just like a wound on your hand. And now there's soil on them. We didn't import it. We didn't bring it in. Mm. But every year from the edges, it would, it would just like a wound on your hand. It would come in, you know, 18 inches a year, 18 inches a year, 18 inches a year till now those those uh those rocks those those wounds are completely covered uh in in uh, grass and so uh it's it's a it's amazing to me nobody can tell me that a person can't build and develop soil mm. rapidly yeah. with, uh with with good you know, uh, with good activity, uh, it's it's one of the most um, it's one of the most resilient things on the on the planet. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's I think that's like uh, you know, if you're listening from Israel, this is the you're not going to get worse than that in Israel. <laughs> you can't even put fence posts in, so I think it right. should give a lot of hope for people. And while we're on the subject of abundance, also, uh, uh, what do, what do you think about the power of like I, I'm really strong believer in the power of creation in all soils. Like, there's no good soil or bad soil. I mean, people tell me the uh, soil is good over there. I know it is true, like you said, you know, it's not a meter, it's not three feet, but I mean, you know, vitality is vitality. 
I was wondering, pra- practically, how do you think we need to, you know, we, we need to apply this truth? There's no such, you know, the, the power of creation is just as powerful in any soil, especially in a place like Israel that looks, you know, very dry for, for a lot of the year, mm-hmm. that power there. Sure. Well, well the, the fact is that every single ecosystem and every climate has, has its assets and liabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, one of the, you know, one of the biggest, so, so when we look at, at soils, you know, one of the biggest um, liabilities in wet areas is leaching. So mm-hmm. you, grow, you grow a lot of vegetation, but it's mineral deficient, or it tends to be mineral deficient because you have all this leaching. In a dry area, you don't grow as much biomass, but what you have is high mineral. Yeah. So, um, so that's why in in the wet areas, which tend to be, which tend to be uh, coastal, um, we can we can get mineral deposits. Wet areas tend to be near minerals because that's where that's where water moved and evaporated, and you have mineral deposits. And so again, nature's provided a way to uh, to remineralize the the leached soils of wet areas, and now the the, the question is how do we rehydrate yeah. rehydrate the the arid areas at, uh, where there are um, a, an abundance of minerals? I mean, when I when I go to um, to dry places. Um, I'm constantly struck by the, the just the um, the productive capacity of the soils. If it gets a drink of water, all it needs is a drink of water, and yeah. it just it just explodes. Um, here, here, uh, water is often not enough uh, because the soils are 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 mineral deficient, and uh, and until we un, until we move the mineral uh, thing forward. You know, it's hard to get good um, good growth. So, so yeah, I'm a big believer. Sandy soils, clay soils, high soils, low soils, dry soils, wet soils, um, all of them, all of them respond to carbon. Hmm. I mean, ca- carbon is the is the is the common denominator for all of them. And uh, um, and if we can get enough carbon, then we get enough soil biology. And the soil biology begins, and the carbon holds more water. Um, so as we get the carbon cycle functioning, then the soil biology works, the hydration works, and, and it all starts coming together, whether you started with sand or clay or, 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 or rock, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, fantastic. That's like right, right on the money there. That's right on the money. So um, uh, we're we're getting close to a close to our hour, and then I, and I want to share uh, just with the um, with the audience that Joel's going to be sharing some of, a few success secrets, and we're going to uh, touch a few deeper questions um, that you can catch on our private Eco IQ group. So don't miss out on that. And then, um, because of that, and I don't want to take too much of Joel's time, and, and we're going to cover a few more questions. So um, it's going to be free to get over those questions. You just got to come and sign up on our on our private Eco IQ group. So because of that, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna wrap it up here. And there, um, um, where, Joel, where's the best place that people of Israel and our listeners abroad can catch up with the with all your work? Where's, where's the, I know you've got a lot of platforms, but you know. Yeah, well, it's uh, our website. Our our official website is Polyface Farms, P O L Y F A C E, uh, Polyface Farms, and that shows you, you know, everything from 
my travel schedule to links to, you know, YouTube's media, different things that we're doing. Um, and, and of course, if you want to, uh, kind of look at pictures of the farm and things like that. Um, it also of course links to our Instagram account, Facebook, and we got all that crazy <laughs> stuff. Um, uh, and, and, and my, my daily blog is, uh, musings from the lunatic farmer. Yeah. And, uh, I, 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 I try like to do a, I try to do a little short, you know, it's very short, yeah. but, uh, but the idea is a little, you know, a, a one, one little daily thought, one little daily <laughs> thought. And, um, I don't do it every single day, but I try at least a weekday. I don't do it weekends, but yeah. uh, I try to do it. Um, try to do it every weekday. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. it. Seems like you just started that in 2018. That's right, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that's yeah correct. fantastic. I really like it. It's great. So um, I really pre- appreciate the space that you consistently hold between um, many opposing worlds, um, Joel, the religious, mm-hmm. the eco-activist, conservative, innovative, and the, um, myself having gone through an Orthodox Jewish conversion and still being super passionate about nature connection and regenerative farming. I can really, and also actually my own personal thing, uh, going from, you know, single for 30 years and then suddenly having seven kids in the house, I can really relate to the, the important, <laughs> I can really relate to, the, to, to that edge, to being on that edge, you know, like between two worlds and, uh, and yes. the importance of utilizing that edge to serve as a bridge to help improve communication and understanding between, this, uh, between these two areas. <laughs> I, yes. know, I know. I know that's quite yes. big with you. <laughs> it, it is. It is. Well, you know, I, I, I encourage people to uh, to read eclectically, read broadly, mm-hmm. read things that you would not normally read, um, because it's we, we can all learn from somebody, and, and another person's perspective um, may be different than ours, but um, but it's good. It's good to be challenged and encouraged by a perspective that we may not want to sit down and have a cup, you know, have a cup of tea with, but, but their perspective is important nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And it's all, it's all part of this bigger uh, universe of ideas. And uh, uh, there's, there's a business axiom that says, um, that says, if you want to be successful, you will have to develop par- partnerships with people you normally wouldn't uh, associate with. Mm. And, and I, I think I think that that is uh, I think that's a profound uh, kind of truth. It actually reminds me, Joel. I wanted to ask you just if you've got a message for um for a, I mean that's that's already a great uh, thing there. But I just wanted to ask you if you've got a message for um for the people of Israel, just to people that are, are wanting to make that deeper connection with land, specifically in production in farming. If you've got a bit of a message for them to you know uh, encouragement or a bit of advice or. Mm. Uh, well, I, 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 I guess my, my message, my message could not be better than Isaiah. Uh, just read yeah. Isaiah, and you will see God's hand of greening, greening Israel as the people have come back to the land, um, and and for in in your lifetime right now to be a part of of those um, those Isaiah uh, prophecies of the return of Israel to its land. And it's, it's just, I can't imagine being uh, a true Israelite and being able to participate in the fulfillment of those abundance prophecies, the bounty, the greening, the, the tree will flourish by the waters. I mean, these, these were prophecies given in a time um, uh, that, that, that pre-saw the diaspora 
and the the uh, I mean everything from uh, I mean how many times um, Israel has been tried to be wiped out, uh, including the Nazi Holocaust, and and Isaiah looked across all that time, looked across the desert, looked across the barrenness, and he prophesied, you know, there will be a day. And so to be able to be a part of that day is just uh, unbelievable. It's a really, really special uh, message. So I, I really, really appreciate um, uh, your your time with us and I really respect, uh, uh, respect your uh, connection with Israel, especially in this space, because it's such a critical space for for us in Israel and, and the world in general to have this eco ecological connection and, and especially with production. I think it's such an incredible thing. So. I just want to take the time to acknowledge your, your tireless work in improving this connection physically and spiritually to earth and especially to production. And I'd like to acknowledge you for the breath of fresh air that you breathe into working the land and generating livelihoods. I know admittedly or not, everyone is yearning for a deeper spiritual connection to farming. And it's really a truly a heartfelt appreciation, Joel, that I know the legacy will con- that, that, you, you know, that you're a part of will continue to help people make that step toward the, towards a much deeper connection. And uh, I, I really look forward to the to the day very soon where we can uh, we can bring you out to Israel to to meet us over here and see you know to give us a bit of a check out the people that are doing things over here and also to you know to collaborate with us a little bit. Really looking forward to that day very soon. Thank Excellent. you. Thanks I'd for love to. on the show, John. Thank you.